are entering the Freedom Hut. The fight between Trump and the squad continues with the media fanning the flames. We'll get into the latest back and forth. And also, we're spending way too much money, my friends. Perhaps we should start to focus in on that again before it is too late. And the border continues to be a mess. What are the latest in the fight over trying to stop these false asylum claims? That and more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This is The Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. It's up to them. Go wherever they want, or they can stay. But they should love our country. They shouldn't hate our country. You look at what they've said. I I have clips right here. The most vile, horrible statements about our country, about Israel, about others. Uh, It's up to them. They can do what they want. They can leave. They can stay. But they should love our country, and they should work for the good of our country. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Trump not backing down an inch, not saying sorry, because he knows. He knows. What's he What's he really going to do? How's this really going to go? Oh, he says, you know what? I'm sorry. That was racist. And then they're going to say, wow, Trump has really turned a corner. He's a better, brighter, warmer, fuzzier Trump now. Maybe we'll stop saying that he's a traitor, a racist, a rapist, and a psychopath. Maybe they'll stop. Oh, no, they won't stop any of that. Remember, we play now by Prince Joffrey rules from Game of Thrones politically. They want you to bend the knee so that they can finish you off. They want you to apologize so that your career is ruined. And then they'll say, see, he apologized exactly like a guilty person would. (laughs) That's that's how they do this now. And I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not willing to play the game of, oh, we're going to care about political rhetoric now. We're going to care so much about about the specific the specific intonation of, of every utterance from from this White House or from this president when we just had a an attempted mass casualty terror attack at, at an ICE facility in Washington state where the guy left a manifesto, in case you didn't know, because you probably don't because the media is not talking about this, where he was like, yeah, I'm Antifa. And I did this because of the concentration camps were running at the border. So effectively, an Antifa left wing Democrat voter who thinks AOC tells the truth, tried to kill a bunch of federal agents and maybe a whole bunch of other people by blowing up a building in Washington state. How much how much coverage has that gotten versus Trump effectively mouthing off on Twitter about a bunch of annoying members of Congress who clearly do have a real chip on their shoulder about this country and, and have real deep-seated animus toward America in general. You might say, well, Buck, uh, you know, that's, that's oh, but they're members of Congress, and I'm sure they love the country in their own way. Yeah, well, you know, plenty of people love countries. People that want to take over other countries might not really like that country, but they think if they run it, it'll be fine. <laughs> they think if they're in charge, it'll be great. They'll change it all. They'll make it all better. And all this talk about justice and equity and all these things. We had a Democrat administration for eight years. Where were the improvements in justice and equity and social justice? All these things we hear about. How did any of that get better? 
because people aren't priced out of the insurance market anymore because of, you know, single uh, because of not single pair because of uh, no pre-existing conditions. Okay. Well, you know, that's one thing. Uh, but I don't think that really did nearly as much as a lot of people would have thought. And I also think that now that the president has decided that he is in a fight with an opposition that knows no rules, gives no quarter, and does not care as long as they win. And that's going to be his approach. Now, we can all sit around and say to the president, eh, you know, maybe you should be nicer to the other side and they'll be nice too. I think, I think that would be foolish. Do I wish the president would avoid saying things that are, are demonstrably incorrect? Yes. Do I wish the president would phrase things differently sometimes? Yes. But I, I also feel like we're, we're asking Trump and we're asking this administration, those around him, to fight these messaging battles in a sense where they're completely outgunned. I mean, they've got the entire media against them. They've got all of Hollywood against them. They've got, and we're, we're saying, well, they win most of the time. But sometimes when, when something goes astray, we want to come down really hard on this administration. I just think that that's not helpful. And I'm seeing a lot of people, Republican members of Congress and different conservative commentators that are giving Trump a very hard time on this issue. Look, I, I think that I know what Trump was getting at. You know, if you don't like this country, no matter who you are, you shouldn't be here because you're lucky to be here. That's what he was trying to say. Did he say it exactly? You know, this also this reminds me of it's it's a version of what happened also in, Char in Charlottesville when Trump was asked about what happened. He condemned. Oh, you never hear about this. He condemned and he condemned. And then he said, well, you know, they're they're when talking about those who wanted to pull down the Robert E. Lee statue and those who didn't. He, he was trying to say there were good people on both sides of that debate, but he was inartful. He was imprecise and they pounced and all of a sudden it was, oh, yeah, Trump. No one really thinks that Trump likes the Tiki Torch losers. No one really. I mean, maybe some people believe that, but no rational person thinks that. But that's what they want to tell you. They want you to focus on on this. Ah, he's racist. Ah, he's so he's so terrible. Meanwhile, we have real problems in this country that the president should be focused on, that we should be addressing, not not that are that are tweet based, but that affect the future of these United States. And really, are, this is a problem that's only going to get much worse. And that is what's going on at our at our southern border right now. We have a president that we believed would be better than his predecessors at dealing with this. Maybe you could say that he has kicked over the rock to see what's underneath. And it's a lot more treacherous than he had realized in terms of the loopholes and the just inefficient system and the judges and the whole bureaucracy set against him. But this is not going the way that it should. And Trump is saying, look, we're going to have to find ways to get people to be more cooperative here. Foreign governments need to be more cooperative. That's why today he said, look, we're, you know, Honduras and Guatemala, I think it was in Guatemala, they just had some Supreme Court decision that, in their Supreme Court, that said that they can't, they can't take in the refugees from Honduras and El Salvador or something. It's very convenient the Supreme Court comes up with that decision. Why, why can't they exactly? Uh, some law that we've got. But I think that putting pressure on those countries to do more about their migration problems, or their migration problem for us is important. And Trump spoke about that as well. That, you know, I, I do want to focus on the policy. I do want to get into what matters. But instead, they just want to make this a big conversation about racism 
racism all the time. That's what they want to talk about. Here's what Trump said about Honduras and Guatemala. Let's talk about that. 23. We don't give them any more money. They've been ripping us off for years. I'm not a fan. So until they shape up, we were giving them hundreds of millions of dollars like fools for years. And all they did is send us up. A lot of people caused a lot of problems. And a lot of the people in those caravans were criminals, hardened criminals, dangerous people. And why not? Why would Honduras or Guatemala or El Salvador, why would they keep their criminals when you can put them into the caravan, lose them in a caravan, and send them up to the United States? We take everybody. Because the Democrats don't allow immigration laws that mean anything. It's horrible. You will all recall, I believe, what was it, the uh, Muriel, Muriel uh, boat lift situation with Cuba, where we decided to open up uh, for, for a period of time to, you know, to Cuban refugees and Castro, to spite us, emptied out the prisons. Does anyone think that uh, El Salvador and Honduras are, you know, the, the, the people that are fleeing those countries are those who are most likely to contribute meaningfully to the U.S. economy? to be the most productive possible. Now you can say, Buck, that's not, we, we can't think about that. I, that is what our immigration system does. It, it makes these judgments. It makes these decisions all the time. So can we talk about it or not? Are we allowed to discuss the system we have or do we have to pretend that there is no system? There's just whoever seems the nicest to us. We just want to be the nice people. We don't want to do anything that makes anyone feel bad. Cutting off money to Guatemala and Honduras is... One step, it's not going to solve the problem, but it's another step toward stopping what is happening at our southern border from continuing on. I do think that the administration understands the scope of the problem, and they have at least showed us how extreme, and this is one of the great gifts of the Trump administration, is he shows us just how crazy the left really is. They've gone full-on open borders. I mean, they, they, want to, they want to make crossing illegally no longer illegal. They don't want anyone to be deported. They want sanctuary cities across the country. They don't speak out against the horrible things that members of Congress say about ICE and Border Patrol. They've shown us who they really are. And it's quite honestly frightening. As an American, the Democratic Party is frightening on immigration. Frightening because of the lies they tell, because of the dishonesty around their positions across the board, because of the delusions under which they operate. They're scary. And yet we have to find a way to do something with them, through them in the future in order to get anything done. Trump is saying now we're going to need, what, 60 senators and control the House to get anything done. And even then I worry about some Republicans not having enough of a spine to do what is necessary here. But Trump's saying, look, the people that are coming from Central America are not necessarily the people that we would want to bring into this country through our immigration system. And that's why he talks about MS-13. And you might say, well, Buck, but that's only a small percentage. Okay, but we're allowed to not want the small percentage of MS-13 members to come into the country, too. This is supposed to be what's in the best interest of the American people. It is not supposed to be whatever makes news anchors at night on CNN feel like they're really, really virtuous. But that's the driving thought process. That and, of course, control of the government and control of essentially making America a single party a single party state where the Democratic Party is in in power and there's a enfeebled and largely irrelevant but 
pro forma Republican opposition that never gets a majority anywhere. That's what they're looking for. And that's what's in play right now. How many elections do you think we're going to win if you have an amnesty of 20 million illegals? Just just do the math real quick in your head. How many elections do you think? How many more states will flip blue from red if there's an amnesty? And what does a continued open border status at our southern border do in terms of the pressures, the political pressures for an amnesty? This is this is all obvious if you just work it out step by step in your head. The Democrats have done that work. They know. And that's why they don't care. They'll say anything. They'll say anything here. Trump is taking actions. We'll see if that's enough. I, I you know, there's one thing I want to talk to you about when we come back and maybe there's not a lot of focus on this. I don't know what to say. There should be a lot more. We're spending too much money, folks. Twenty two, soon to be twenty three trillion in debt. We are spending too much money. We used to care about this. Can just do me a favor. Let me spend a couple of minutes of time with you when we come back addressing this problem. I'll feel better. I'll sleep more safely and warmly at night tonight if I can just tell you about what's good. Because this is something that the Republicans have to own, too. We have to take some some blame. I was going to say some control, some blame for what's happening here. And then we'll get more into this. This fight with Trump and the squad and everything. It's just consuming all the oxygen in the, in the in the room today, all the news cycle about this stuff. So we'll work through some of that. And then we got Turkey buying a Russian missile system that looks like Turkey's taking a step away from NATO, a big step away from NATO, more like a leap. Got that. Got uh, the BBC doing shady stuff with Iran to get access. I got all I got all kinds of show for you. So stay stay around. If you're elected president of the United States, you're gonna have to go to Capitol Hill and sell this. Vice President Biden said his plan would cost seven hundred and fifty billion dollars over 10 years. If you're talking to a lawmaker, January 2021, and they say, Senator, give me a number, Medicare for all, an approximate number. How much would it cost? Somewhere between 30 and 40 trillion over a 10 year period. And what 30 or 40 trillion? between friends 30 or 40 trillion 100 trillion a bajillion a a googleplex zillion it's all funny money doesn't matter we're just printing it we don't even print it it's just numbers on a screen make the numbers bigger boom done yeah there's problems with that folks there are problems with our current fiscal trajectory the White House is part of the problem right now. I know nobody wants to hear it. I know. Don't don't touch that dial because I'm telling you the truth. The White House is projecting a federal deficit of over a trillion dollars this year. That has only happened previously under the Obama administration. It has never been that high before then in our country's history. Okay? A trillion dollars plus deficit for the year. We, we this is this isn't sustainable. I know we, we you know I came into politics and media at the during the rise of the Tea Party. And I remember all the arguments and I remember people that really earnestly were concerned about the future of this country, about the debt that future generations would be saddled with. And right now, there are a lot of things you can look at that could be the triggers for a serious financial meltdown. And by the way, if there's a financial meltdown, you know, who's going to be in power when the when the dust settles? It's not going to be the people that are talking about entrepreneurship and individual liberty and free markets. It's going to be the people who say, we'll pay for your health care. We'll give you lots of free stuff. It's the rich fat cats that caused all the problems. What could trigger this? Well, people say, what about interest rates rising? Yeah, that could happen. It's going to happen at some point. Starts to crowd out private investment just because we have to pay greater interest, uh, pay uh, off the interest on our debt. 
But it could be, I mean, you got a trillion dollar plus student loan bubble. What is it, 1.6 trillion now? Trillion dollar plus student loan bubble. You've got a, a trillion dollar subprime auto market right now. We've got, a, you know, a, the corporate debt, junk bond corporate debt is enormous. I mean, there's a whole bunch of things that if one, and it's just it just tumbles, the whole house of cards comes tumbling down. You just pull one out. Then all of a sudden people get scared, counterparty risk, and a couple of banks fail, and boom. Now the market's down 20-30%, and guess what? They all blame Trump. They all blame the people that have been pushing for uh, you know, deregulation, and it's it's going to be 2008 all over again. We used to care about this, my friends. We used to care about spending too much money from, uh, via government. I think we still should care because the math says we should care. And this is there. There's a lot of reason to believe that this exacerbates. I mean, the whole quantitative easing program, it just inflates those with assets and inflates their balance sheets. If you own real estate, if you own a lot of stock, it's great. If you're the other 80 percent of America that doesn't have those kinds of assets, uh, guess what? Your dollars are worth less. I mean, they keep saying inflation is is almost non-existent. That's not. That's because the way they measure inflation is inaccurate. Things are getting more expensive for those who are laborers who work for their money day in and day out for hours at a time instead of people that are making big salaries and have a lot of uh, passive income. It's getting more expensive. Things are more expensive. So when they talk about inflation, well, guess what? Your healthcare is more expensive. Your food's more expensive, and your housing's more expensive. They can say that there's no real inflation or it's 1% or 2% or whatever that the Fed target is, but they're living in a fantasy land. You know, this is happening under Trump. I, we, we used to care about this. We can say we don't care anymore, but let's at least be honest about that. Because a trillion dollars, one year deficit, more than a trillion dollars, is too much money. But all right. That was the that was eating your peas for the day, team. We'll come back. Let's get back into the squad fight. And I won't tell you about how the economy's going to melt down. Hopefully not under Trump. We've heard uh, facilities on the U.S. border called uh, concentration camps. We've seen the far left throw accusations of racism at everyone, anyone who disagrees with them on anything, including the Speaker of the House. We've seen a freshman Democratic congresswoman use anti-Semitic tropes and imply people only support Israel because of uh, campaign contributions. The most uh, vile accusations and insults against our nation have become incredibly routine, and we've seen back and forth of the past few days. I like Mitch McConnell on this on this subject. I got to tell you, I think Mitch is Mitch is right on target. And he just keeps on putting those judges through. So I don't think that Mitch doesn't doesn't do some good things for the cause. Mitch certainly does. But I, I like where Mitch McConnell is on this. He's saying, look, you know, and this is my feeling, too. I'm just not going to be lectured on decorum and proper uh, proper rules of the road for discussion debate by the same people who call our border facilities concentration camps and just run around screaming about how everyone's racist all the time. And we'll use terms in a really condescending, rude, belittling manner like 
white privilege. Oh, you must, you know, have you had some success in life? That's because of your white privilege. They'll throw that around like there's no problem. Okay, that's fine. You didn't earn that. You got white privilege. Hmm. That that's quite a thing to quantify. Really? Because I know I know a lot of white people that have, that would have the same white privilege I do, and uh, they've made very different choices and led very different lives. So I, I don't know if it's all just my privilege that gets me everything right. I'm sure you feel the same way. Life is hard for everybody. We all have challenges. We all have pain and disappointment. But the group identity obsession of the left, it eradicates that. It says, no, whatever you are, isn't what you think you are. You are not a compilation of your choices, of your decisions, of your honor and your integrity and your decency. That's not who you are. You're whatever they say you are based on their version of events today and events preceding today. The history as well as the present of the inequality that they are so obsessed with. Mitch McConnell's right. They have normalized the squad and the Democratic Party has normalized the most horrific stuff. I'm sorry. No one ever. What? Oh, the big slur against Obama from the right that was that was used a lot was that he was kind of a socialist. Now the Democrats are openly socialist. So, you know, was was that unfair? No, they just didn't like the the the, the resonance that it had because people said, yeah, I mean, Obama's kind of pushing us towards socialism. That's what he was doing. But nobody, nobody was calling Obama. I mean, when I say nobody, of course, there's always some moron somewhere that thinks that, you know, Obama was actually a space alien sent here to take over the world. I mean, there's idiots of all kinds. There's racists. There's morons. But the, the, the main thrust of criticism of Obama uh, didn't involve things like saying he was a traitor. You know, they're, they're, they weren't saying that he had been bought by a foreign country, a Manchurian candidate to run this country for wherever. Uh, people weren't saying he was crazy, weren't saying he was a rapist. That's stuff that's said about Trump. And people say, well, Buck, that's because it's true. No, it's not. And anyone who thinks it's true is an idiot. All right, Trump is not a rapist. He's never, you know, if, if he had assaulted all these women all this time that have come forward and said, and by the way, what's the big story that we're supposed to believe? Uh, it's not E. Jean Carroll. That blew up in their faces. So well, what's the story of Trump? Uh, sexually assaulting somebody that we're well, what's the name what's the story we keep hearing oh a dozen women have come forward with what and then when you dig into it, it's oh trump you know uh, tried to kiss one once or you know uh, uh, made a pass at one aggressively once i mean you know that, that doesn't make him a rapist folks it just makes him a guy who thinks that ladies like him a little more than maybe some of them do unless he forced himself on somebody and really committed a crime and there's nothing even to talk about here but they say the most horrible things about the president of the United States, and they do it as a part of trying to say that you and I are immoral as well because we support this, because we're okay, because we voted for Trump, because we'd vote for a, let, let's be clear, a treasonous, crazy, racist rapist. That's what they say about the president of the United States. They say it routinely like it's nothing. They say it in front of members of his family. They say it on TV. They say it from the biggest megaphones, the biggest microphones in the country. They don't, they don't give it a second thought. And now they want to tell us, oh, but Trump, he said, he said this mean tweet, and it wasn't really true. A blunder? Yeah. A life-changing, perception-altering moment for all of us that have thought, absolutely not. 
I know what Trump's saying. This is this squad of squabbling Democrats is full of anti-Americanism, saying horrific things about a lot of very good people that are doing hard work on our border. And remember, they did this with cops, too. I remember the Black Lives Matter thing. Black Lives Matter was a demonization of cops movement. And that was a primary, a primary purpose of the movement. I was at the rallies. I wish you could have seen. I, I debated Van Jones on this on CNN, on Wolf Blitzer's show. You know, Wolf Blitzer's show never had me back after that. Because Van tried to pull the, well, that's not true. They don't say that. And I was there. No, actually, I have, I have video and photos. That is exactly what they say about cops. They do call cops murderers. They do call cops racist routinely. Oh, oh I you know, wasn't ready for that one. And Van is one of the, I'll be honest, he's one of the smarter and more interesting CNN contributors. <laughs> so there's, you know, he's a lot smarter than Anna Navarro. But they didn't want to have an honest discussion about Black Lives Matter and the Obama administration. And, and people don't want to have an honest discussion about immigration and border enforcement now. They're demonizing law enforcement, throwing them under the bus. And that's why their whole hero worship of Comey and the FBI and the hero, it's, it's so transparent. It's just whatever. It's all about utility for their cause at any point in time. That's all that really matters. Now, I like what McConnell said. Could could Trump maybe focus in a little more and not not uh, you know put himself in a position where he has to play a little bit of defense here? And remember, Trump doesn't really play defense. He just plays he just plays offense with a hand tied behind his back. You know, he, he doesn't really believe, I think, in defense. But Liz Cheney. And she's really responding here to the comments of, of Presley that if you don't, I, I can't remember the exact words. It's basically if you're, a, if you're a Hispanic face but don't want to be a Hispanic voice, if you're a black face but don't want to be a black voice, who determines whose voice is legitimate? The left? That's, that's, quite, a, that's quite an arrogant, and I, I do think people would say a racist claim. If, if you have a certain skin color, you must say certain things or else you don't get to speak for people of that skin color anymore. I think that that sounds like kind of textbook racism, doesn't it? And Cheney, uh, Liz Cheney, that is, not uh, not Dick. <laughs> Dick Cheney. By the way, it never really sounded like him. I know that the John Stewart impersonation of Dick Cheney. Cheney was I, the one time, uh, or maybe once or twice I met him. He was a very charming guy. I liked him. Um, but Liz Cheney, his daughter, uh, she's going after... What's really problematic here, which is the anti-American, the anti-Americanism and the vitriol and the nastiness and the lies that are at the heart of this squad's opposition, not just to Trump, but to a lot of things Americana. Play 18. Our opposition to our colleagues' beliefs has absolutely nothing to do with race or gender or religion. We oppose them and their policies, because their policies are dangerous and wrong and would destroy America. The issue here is the content of their policies, and we will continue to stand up and fight against what we know is wrong for this nation. Absolutely. It, it is about their policies. You know, does, does anyone look? I know so many conservatives, and I spend a lot of time talking to my fellow conservatives about a whole a whole slew of things and you know p political and otherwise I i'm sorry but i do not know a single conservative that is any more critical of uh let's say you know aoc's 
version of a Green New Deal than they are of Elizabeth Warren's collectivist stupidity or Al Gore's climate change lunacy. We don't like their ideas. We don't care what their skin color is. We don't care what their ethnicity is. We just don't like their ideas. But they always want to make it when they can about skin color, try to throw that into the into the situation, throw that into the mix, force that into the conversation, because then it puts people who are trying to have an honest adult discussion on the defensive. Oh, I don't I don't want to be I don't want them to call me racist. I got news for you. They're going to call everybody racist. They were calling Pelosi racist a week ago. This is a learned behavior because they, they get away with the left gets away with this a lot. They will just. You know, throw out an accusation of racism, even if it's just the most frivolous, baseless thing imaginable, it still will have some impact. It might work really well. So that's why Liz Cheney, who, as we know, is a uh, a LGBT congresswoman who is a Republican, but uh, she is uh, she is same sex in her. Uh, she has, a, I believe, a, has a same sex partner. She's married. Um. Here's what she says about this. It's all about why they're wrong, not who they are when talking about the squad. And I I think that this is right on target. Play 17. Socialist colleagues on the other side of the aisle are wrong when they advocate abortion up until the moment of birth, including partial birth abortion, late term abortion, and when they refuse to mandate care for babies who are born alive. Our colleagues are wrong when they say that we should open America's borders, abolish ICE and abolish DHS. They're wrong when they advocate policies that would eliminate all private health insurance in this country, destroy Medicare, and force the American people to pay for free health care for illegal immigrants. Yep. Wrong, wrong, and wrong. Wrong on policy. And also, I think, just wrong on facts, wrong on ethics, wrong on everything. But these are the most prominent voices in the Democratic Party. You know, you never hear about nice centrist Democrat congressmen or congresswomen from, you know, purple states that have some ideas. No, that, that's not who gets the attention. It's the radical socialists in the Democratic Party that get all the attention. Why? Because this is really where the Democratic Party is. It is the Socialist Party now. I mean, they you could say, oh, but that's not true. They're not socialists. They don't want to seize the means of production and, and control the redistribution of wealth. Actually, they do. They just don't like the term socialism because then they have to carry with it the baggage of all these other. So that's why they have this this modifier of democratic socialism. Hmm. But the Democratic Party is the socialist party of America now. There's really very little difference between what the Democratic Socialists of America have been arguing for for a long time and what Democrats in the Democrat Party want now. These four women are distinctive for one important reason I want America to know. They are the only four Democrats to vote against any form of humanitarian aid at the border when that vote was taken two weeks ago. They have no moral authority to ever talk about the border and the kids and the humanitarian crisis there. Yeah, someone should just keep hammering that point. Kellyanne Conway, she's she's smooth. She's a smooth operator. She knows it's true. They like to talk about how much they care about the kids in cages at the border. But when it came time to help fund those kids at the border, guess what? They voted against it because it was more important for them to differentiate themselves from the rest of the group, to grandstand, to get more media attention, to be the the Jacobins, if you will, of the Democratic Party, 
to be the hardcore left, the revolutionary fringe that is increasingly not on the outskirts, but pushing toward the center of party power. And whatever they have to do to get there, whatever they have to say, it seems to me they are willing to say. Um, Representative Jayapal weighed in on this one, talking about how or why Trump says the things that he says. Play 10. The impact of his words are deeply felt um, across the country, and they're also felt by people who remember their own connections to their immigrant histories. And so this is a racist, vile, xenophobic ploy to speak to, I think, a small part of his base. But this has been his playbook all along personalized attack and now he's even saying if you dissent that somehow you should go back to your country if you criticize the country i think dissent is patriotic i think dissent is yeah we always hear this from democrats sure dissent until until you have a democrat in office then dissent is totally unpatriotic and we all know that's how they play the game i'm going to tell you what i think trump did here or what was motivating him i think that he and a lot of americans understand this intuitively get this I think that he really loves this country and is proud of this country and does not seek to fundamentally transform it, doesn't think that it's soaked in racism and evil and all these bad things from the past. I think things is a pretty darn good place, the best place. And when he sees elected members of the federal government running it into the ground, dumping all over it, treating it like it should be uh, completely broken down and rebuilt from the ground up. I think that he reacts to that as a person more than a politician. I think Trump just is sick of this stuff. And we've had, you know, we've had the the Romneyite Bush approach to the left of, oh, they can be crazy, but we'll just keep on, you know, speaking like we're at the country club. And I'm sorry, it doesn't work. We do want someone on our side who's willing to say, you know what? Stop dumping all over America all the time. This is gross. You're lucky to be here. Anyone who is here, not just people that have, have, have been recent arrivals or the sons or daughters of immigrants, everybody here is lucky to be here. And if someone doesn't feel that way, then yeah, I do think there are some questions. Well, then why are you staying here? You're lucky to be in this country. I mean, every, you know, I'm going to be doing some international travel in a few days. We'll have a couple of guest hosts in on Thursday and Friday. And I'll be going to other countries. And, you know, one thing I love about international travel is that feeling when I come back to the U.S. of A. And I think this place is amazing. And it's, it's pretty much every time I go away. The only, the only exception is when I go to a beautiful beach somewhere. But that doesn't even really count because it's not that I love that country so much. I just like that beach that I didn't leave for a few days drinking margaritas until I got silly. You know, that's it. But every time I spend... In a, every time I go to another country and really have to be there, I'm not saying they don't have a good time and it's not interesting, and everything, but I come back to this country and I always, every, without fail, I have this feeling of this place, this America that we live in is amazing. And I think that Trump just reacted. I don't think it was a political calculation at all. I think that it bothers him. I think it ticks him off when people, especially powerful people with a big megaphone, degrade this place. Because we're all lucky to be here. I will always refer to him as the occupant, as he is only occupying space. This is a president who has openly violated the very value our country aspires to uphold. Equality under the law, 
religious liberty, equal protection, and protection from persecution. Recent tweets and words from the president are simply a continuation of his racist and xenophobic playbook. We cannot allow these hateful actions by the president to distract us from the critical work to hold this administration accountable to the inhumane conditions at the border. So the first note that I want to tell children across this country is that no matter what the president says, this country belongs to you. Well, there you have it. The squad, as they are called, holding their press conference late, uh, late last evening, I think it was where they were going after the Trumpster. Obviously very disrespectful to the president, but that's we, we knew that would be the case. And you notice how the entire media apparatus has shifted from Trump is a traitor who worked with the Russians. Whoops, can't keep that lie going anymore, and now Trump is a racist. And they always say that they, they like to play this game where the last people, you know, is, is what Trump said racist? Is he a racist? Here's how I would like to start to have people answer this. Under the rules of the game, as the left sets them up, is uh, is what Trump said racist? Well, sure, of course, because anything that can be construed as racist, anything that you if you can make a case, according to the left, that something is racist, it is racist. Just the ability to make a case that it's racist means that it's racist. That's the level of sensitivity that we're all supposed to be operating under. I, I refuse to play that game. When someone is asking me if something is racist, I want to know, okay, is a person making a value judgment about the worth, decency, integrity, merit uh, about a human being based upon that person's skin color? And is that the way that person who is making the judgment feels about people of that skin color or ethnicity? Do you, you know, racism is really, do you judge people by their skin color or not? Do you see somebody with a certain skin color and you think less of or more of perhaps that person? That's racism. Do I believe that Donald Trump is a racist? I absolutely do not. Do I think that Donald Trump refuses to speak about things in a politically correct fashion? Yeah. Do I think that that means he's going to say things that upsets leftists who want us all walking on eggshells all the time? Absolutely. Do a lot of us feel like we've had enough of being told what is acceptable for us to say by people who have no good faith? about the exchange, don't want to hear what we really think, don't want to hear what we have to say, just want us all to be silent. I mean, this squad that has come together here of Presley and Tlaib and Omar and AOC, they represent the hard left of the Democratic Party, identity politics based, anti-American, pro-socialist and just woke to the the you know the complete degree of wokeness, whatever that would be, they're super woke, and they have a lot of baggage. They bring a lot with them that I think the American people, the more they're exposed to it, aren't on board for at all. You know, Omar Omar is probably the one with who I think the Democrats are going to they're going to regret the day that they decided that they would all. Uh, be defending and holding her up and acting like she's some very important voice for the future. Uh, here is here's what she said when she was asked about whether she would condemn Al Qaeda, which you know you know she has she I'm sure she would say that she condemns Al Qaeda's 
tactics. You know, I'm sure that she would have some way of saying, but does she does she think that Al Qaeda was a mortal threat to the United States and that what we did to root them out, to to eliminate, to take off the battlefield, to kill Al Qaeda in large numbers, which is what we did for years. And many of you listening were part of that effort. Do I think that Omar really would would uh, support that? Would she even cheer that on? No, I'm sure she thinks that Al Qaeda at some level is a response to American imperialism. I'm sure she thinks that. She probably would say it if you asked her. It just depends on how you asked her and who did the asking. You know, that, that Al Qaeda was supported by the U.S. at one point. This is always a story you hear. Right? Because we helped the Mujahideen against the Soviets, and because bin Laden joined the Mujahideen at one point, we, we created Al Qaeda, they'll say. I mean, this is, this is idiocy, but it's out there all the time. Omar was asked, Do you condemn Al Qaeda? Here's what she said, play two. Omar in particular, but to all of you, can you respond to some of the president's specific claims, most notably that you're a communist and that you're pro-Al-Qaeda? When he made the comment, uh, I know that every single Muslim who has lived in this country and across the world has heard that comment. And so I will not dignify it with an answer because I know that every single Islamophobe, every single person who is hateful, who is uh, driven um, by an ideology of othering as this president is, uh, rejoices in us responding to that. And so I think it is beyond time to ask Muslims to condemn terrorists. We are no longer going to allow uh, the dignification of such ridiculous, ridiculous statement. Meanwhile, different set of rules for Republicans, for conservatives, for white males who are Republicans or conservatives. Do you support David Duke? How many times did you hear about David Duke when it's not time for a Republican to run for president. You never hear you never hear about this guy. The guy's a loser. Nobody, you know, nobody cares. He's he's a he's a bad dude with bad ideas who has no influence and everybody just wishes would go away. But whenever it's time for a Republican to run, oh, do you condemn? Remember what a big thing they made over Trump with with, you know, what do you think of David Duke's endorsement or something? And all of a sudden he's, you know, they just do that to slime people. To slam them because even this is the when did you stop beating your wife question that liberals get away with every election cycle. And they do it on the big Sunday shows, all the propaganda, all the crap they're peddling out of those Sunday shows that set the tune in Washington. Most of those guys are, are jokes, by the way, who have those shows. They couldn't debate their way out of a paper bag. They don't know anything about anything. They're just trying to look fancy for their corporate overlords and the people that they're going to go hang out with in the country club at Chevy Chase after hours. I mean, that's that's it. They really, really have have no integrity in, in what they're doing and in that whole process of setting the conversation for the week. But anyway, but back to, you know, back to this game of when you condemn and when you don't condemn. So she won't. How easy is it? Or maybe a better question. How hard is it to condemn Al Qaeda? Like, yeah, of course, Al Qaeda is terrible. And, and, you could, and then if she wanted to say that's a stupid question, I'd say, all right, that's that's an OK. But no, instead, she she won't condemn it now. I don't like this will you condemn, will you condemn game in general, but let's just understand that Republicans, this all that, you know, will, will you condemn this white nationalist? Well, yeah, I mean, white nationalists, like the guys with the tiki torches in Charlottesville, these, these people are, are losers. 
They have no constituency. They have no power. They have no cultural resonance. They're losers. So why should I have to condemn? I have nothing to do with them, never had anything to do with them. Why should anyone have to condemn them? Oh, will, will you condemn them? Oh, okay, fine. <gasps> you see this? So-and-so had to condemn white nationalists, probably because he's kind of close to the white nationalists. That's what they do. They're always trying to attach the smear to people. Uh, but the good news for us is that Omar is also um, has problems with, with facts, has problems with, uh, with dealing in reality which is not surprising to any of you, I'm sure. And uh, she said, for example, well, here, let, let's hear it from her. This is all from the press conference of The Squad. Play four. This president, who has been credibly accused of committing multiple crimes, including colluding with foreign government to interfere with our election. This is a president who has overseen the most corrupt administration in our history and pursued an agenda to allow millions of Americans to die from a lack of health care while he transfers millions of dollars in tax cuts to corporations. I mean, this is lunacy. He's, quote, pursuing an agenda to allow millions of Americans to die from a lack of health care. Yeah, that's right. Trump wants millions of people to die. Aren't you just seeing people dying in the streets because they, they can't get that heart transplant or they, you know, what is she even talking about? It's idiocy. And this is not unique to her, but saying that Trump was credibly accused of colluding with, with Russia uh, to throw the election. Does that ever go away? Do we ever have to, do we ever get to stop hearing this lie? The investigation did not show any collusion. Two-year-long special counsel never should have happened in the first place. The investigation did not show any collusion. Okay, so what next? We're going to still hear about how there was collusion. Okay, so why do we have the investigation? Oh, because maybe maybe Mueller didn't find something that these intrepid members of Congress. It's just, you know, it's, it's all crap. It's all lies. Ah, but then we get to what really is going on here. What is underlying this? What are they trying? What is this narrative supposed to do? Why is the left so full of itself right now? So feeling feeling like it maybe can get what it wants to get. What does it want? Oh, Omar let us in on the game, I think, here. Play three. I have not made impeachment central to my election or my tenure. But since the day that I'd gotten elected, I'd said to people, it is not if he will be impeached, but when. So it is time for us to stop allowing this president to make a mockery out of our Constitution. It's time for us to impeach this president. Impeach the president. Why? Oh, that's right. Because they say he's a racist. That's why he should be impeached. Impeach him for being a racist. Uh, I, I don't even know what to say about this other than they're never going to give it up. It doesn't matter if we win the debate, if we beat them on the battlefield of ideas. They, they have to believe. There's this part of the liberal brain now that has to think that Donald Trump, instead of, the, instead of what they see happening around them in the world, which is that the country is doing well, there is prosperity. I'm, I'm concerned about how long it's going to last, and I do think that unless we get our act together and make some changes you know, with all the spending that's going on and these artificially low interest rates, and there, there are... 
we're gonna, I'm going to listen to this show in a, in a year or two. I'm guessing more like two years. Like, yep, we knew it was coming, but the good times were happening, and nobody wanted to talk about the gathering storm. But nonetheless, what's going on right now? Right now is good. So liberals have to believe that there's some horrible thing that Trump is guilty of or that he's doing, because otherwise they'd have to come to grips with maybe they're just wrong. Maybe they've been wrong all along here. Maybe they really don't know what the heck they're talking about. Maybe they should just think more about what's good for the country and not what's good for their egos. But no, no, no. That's Instead, it's just, oh, Trump is a racist. He was a traitor. It looks like he wasn't a traitor. And now they're saying he's a racist again. We've already been here, by the way. Trump is not a racist. He does not hate people of different ethnicities or colors. He does not think poorly of people because of skin color. But they you'll never convince them otherwise. Though. You'll never convince the left, the Democrats, that that is not the case. It's a shame. But this is uh, this is the what we're dealing with here. I, I've got more on this dealing with the squad in a moment. Every single statement that we make is from a place of extreme love for every single person in this country. It is part of the mandate of why we ran for office and why we got elected. Despite the occupant of the White House attempts to marginalize us and to silence us, please know that we are more than four people. We ran on a mandate to advocate for and to represent those ignored, left out, and left behind. Our squad is big. Our squad includes any person committed to building a more equitable and just world. And that is the work that we want to get back to. And given the size of this squad and this great nation, we cannot, we will not be silent. I don't think anyone thinks they're going to be silent. <laughs> I think I think we're past that. Uh, and no one is no one's trying to silence them. So that's also just a strange place to take this discussion. There's there's no there's no group. There's no constituent that's saying that these members of Congress aren't allowed to speak or can't can't speak their mind on things. We just disagree with it. Also, I like with Omar, everything that she says comes from love for you. Do you how many of you feel like you're getting a big warm hug from Ilhan Omar? You know, everything that Omar says comes from a place of love. Just remember that as she says things like this. Place six. When I was in college, I took uh, a terrorism class. Every time the, the, the professor said Al-Qaeda, he sort of like his shoulders yeah. went up and, you know, yeah, he's in command like, here. Al-Qaeda, you know, hospital. You don't say America with an yeah. intensity. You yeah. don't say England with yeah. an intensity. Yeah. You know, you don't you don't say um, the army with an intensity. Care was founded after 9-11. Because they recognized that some people did something and that all of us were starting to lose access to our civil liberties. We need to abolish ICE and end all inhumane deportation and detention programs. We need to fight back against the criminalization of immigrants and those crossing the border. Oh, that's all from love, folks. That's she says that stuff because she loves you so much. She wonders why a professor would say Al-Qaeda differently than how that professor would say America or Britain. But she's, she's, it's from love because she loves you so much. She just wants to get close to you and give you a little snuggle, give you a hug. 
She says that some people did something on 9-11. Now, that's, that's love. That's, that's why she downplays the worst terrorist attack in the history of the world, folks. That's what 9-11 was. The worst single terrorist attack ever. I, I, think, I think that there's some fair questions about what Omar really thinks of this country and that she could be elected. Look, I don't want to go here, folks, but plenty of people in history have been elected to office who didn't love their country and did some pretty terrible stuff. I don't want to start naming names, but there's plenty of that. You don't have to look that far or that hard. So just because somebody was elected in a country doesn't mean that they represent the best interests of that country. It doesn't mean that they share the values of that country. So, yes, she is, she is an American. That is a fact. She is a member of Congress. That is a fact. I think she has an obtuse and somewhat hateful view of the country that took her in. That's an opinion, but it's such a well-supported one that it starts to feel more like a fact with each passing day. That's what we're dealing with here with the squad. This is all, though, part of the plan. Trump is a racist. Why do they want to hammer this home so much? Because they hope that people will become uncomfortable voting for this president based on the social stigma of voting for a racist. That's this. This is electoral politics. This is not about, oh, please, the people that are saying that our immigration and enforcement agents are like Nazis. Yeah, they really care about good faith debate and discussion. We're not all morons. This is politics. Trump is a racist. Trump is a racist. Trump is a racist. That's just the that's the message. They want it to seep in so that people will say, you know what? I know Trump's done a good job, but can't vote for a racist. They only need some people, folks. Pretty small percentage. Under U.S. law, uh, you know, we admit a certain number of refugees from all around the world based on some fairly narrow criteria. Uh, and typically, refugee status is not granted just based on uh, economic need or uh, because a family lives in a bad neighborhood or poverty, uh, it's typically defined uh, fairly narrowly. There may be some narrow circumstances uh, in which uh, there is a humanitarian or refugee status that a family might be eligible for. If that were the case, it would be better for them to be able to apply in country rather than take a very dangerous journey all the way up uh, to Texas uh, to make those same claims. Oh, my gosh. Can you believe the horrible stuff Obama was saying about asylum back in 2014? Quote, typically refugee status is not granted based on economic need or because a family lives in a bad neighborhood or because of poverty. End quote. That's right. That's not asylum. That's not asylum. What are the people coming to our southern border doing? Claiming that that is either a, a cause for asylum or they're just lying and saying that they, they, they say they have a credible fear of violence. And that's all they'll say. They'll repeat the same thing over and over. I've been told this by Border Patrol officers. They say things. You, you look at them and you know, OK, well, they've been told to say this. You say, well, Buck, who's telling them? The cartels. Because the cartels have the Internet. They have a lot more than that. They have billions of dollars. The cartels have figured this out. And they're controlling access to the border. So this is a scam. This is a scam that's enriching the cartels. It's taking advantage of the American people. And why is it that Obama was able to say this back in 2014? And he's not a terrible, terrible guy. And now we're being told, oh, actually, 
Trump says this stuff and, and he's a horrible, evil racist for it. How is it the Democratic Party in just five years ago was right on? They were right in line with at least what I'm saying now. They were saying that then they were making these claims then. So were they racist then or are they just completely full of it, have no principles and will say whatever they have to say at any point in time to get what they want politically? I think we all know the answer to this. I think we understand what's really happening here. You know, this is the big lie they always tell us it's not a crime to seek asylum. Okay, it is a crime to seek asylum with a lie and then stay in this country and then refuse to leave once you've been given your due process. So, you know, this is what they do, though. They focus in the Democrats. I'm not even talking about the asylum seekers. The Democrats, they pick a talking point. They stick to it. You know, people are not illegal. Seeking asylum is not a crime. Yeah, that's irrelevant. Lying about your background to a federal official to get asylum is a crime. And refusing to leave the country when you have received your due process and it is clear you are not an asylum seeker, that is a crime. And it's time we finally hold the left accountable for the lies they're telling about this stuff publicly. But I have to tell you, folks, this is not good right now. I mean, the situation with with Trump and the border, I mean, this is this is not what we signed up for. This is not what we were promised. And that's just a fact. And you could tell me, oh, Buck, but he's done everything he can. I'm a, I'm a little frustrated. The entire legislative agenda of the Trump administration was more or less handed over to Paul Ryan for the first two years, when, which is the most important time for a new presidency to get big stuff done. And Paul Ryan is an open borders, free market absolutist kind of guy. He didn't he didn't want to take any action on the board and they didn't take any action on the border. There was no legislation passed or even attempted to be passed that would have dealt with this situation at the border uh, that would have in any. You know what they just tried to do, folks? They, they've all, they're trying to pass legislation to increase uh, guest worker programs. So more foreigners competing for your jobs. That's what the current Congress is looking to do. You're, you'll notice that hasn't gotten a lot of attention. Both parties. Because the donor class loves it. Both parties want to increase foreign competition for your jobs. That's that is a Republican and Democrat. And, you know, you look at these H-1B visas and there's a lot of nonsense in there, too. You know, they, they, they're supposed to be bringing people in who have unique skills that could not be you cannot be uh, it cannot be found on U.S. So that's not true. They just bring people in who are then prisoners of the visa system. And they can't leave that job because then they'll lose their visa. And then they underpay them. And then a lot of them go back home. That's not the way that this is. That's not how this is supposed to go. Uh, but there's been, look, there, there, are, there are massive, massive problems in our immigration system right now. None of this is being dealt with. But asylum is the, I mean, this is the part. This is what's collapsing the system, really. This is what has gone completely, completely haywire. And I played that Obama clip for you just so that, you know, we're not crazy, folks. What we're saying is reality. What we're saying should should be done here is what the Democrats were saying should be done here until pretty recently. They're the ones who have changed. They're the ones who have radicalized. We have not radicalized. We're just sane. I mean, here's here's Ken Cuccinelli, who's the acting United States Customs and Immigration uh, director talking about. What's really true about these asylum seekers? Play 13. 
almost 90% of the people pouring themselves into our asylum system really don't have a shot at obtaining asylum in this country. We'll stop people who are fraudulently, frankly, clogging our asylum system. And Mike, we have over 300,000 case backlog in asylum. Uh, and they're getting in the way of people who have legitimate asylum claims, legitimate persecution claims. And remember, asylum is about safety. It isn't about forum shopping. And this regulation will stop the forum shopping while preserving safety. Another way of explaining this is that there are people who currently uh, are ha- have fled watching their entire family, let's say, be executed in Syria. I mean, I spoke to families where that had been the case. They had watched their children, their parents, their, you know, uh, their neighbors executed right out in the street because they were the wrong sect or because they were an opponent of the regime or whatever it may be. I was in the refugee camps in Zatari. I saw and talked to people. That's what the, that's a refugee. Those people, though, some of them who have and from from different situations all over the world who are trying to get legitimate refugee status. Remember, you're a refugee if you apply outside the U.S. You, it's asylum if you get to the U.S. and then you effectively want to be a refugee in-house. You're already here. But the people that want that are in the refugee pipeline, they're they're getting delayed. And they're being told, sorry, you know, we, we, we can't get to your claim. We, we can't let you in because we got to deal with all this stuff. There is a line skipping that occurs here. There's a cost to this. There's not just a cost to the taxpayer. There's a cost to real asylum seekers, people that would qualify under the system that we really do want to help. But you won't hear this from the Democrats. No, I mean, Mark Morgan, who was a. Uh, I can't remember if he was acting ICE director or acting. Yeah, I think he was acting ICE director. He was in the Obama administration. You know, I, I talked to this guy, interviewed him a couple of times. He's a sharp dude. He gets it. And he knows that what the Democrats are doing right now is, is an absolute abject disgrace. Disgrace. And here's here's what the, the, the administration changing this rule. They're going to challenge us in court. ACU is going to challenge us in court. Anyone who challenges this doesn't really care about the asylum system. It's a frivolous legal challenge. Of course, we should be able to say we should be able to determine who comes in this country and who doesn't. Who really controls our immigration system at this point? Is anyone in charge? Do the American people get a vote in this? Or is it just these open borders groups, these immigration lawyers paid for by the open borders groups and, uh, and the media that loves to pat themselves in the back while they send their kids to to uh, schools where they'll never have to deal with a, you know, their kids don't go to schools where they're going to have to deal with recent migrant arrivals from third world countries that don't speak English. Their kids don't have to deal with that. They don't see the the migrants at their at their country club. You know, when when Chris Matthews and, and Scarborough and Anderson Cooper are in the Hamptons or Nantucket, they're, they're not going to see any of these refugees. They don't care. They get to feel good about themselves. Their communities aren't going to be dealing with an influx of people who not only came in illegally, but are being told that America owes you something. It's America's fault that you had to come here. So, you know, you better get yours while you're here. Of course, this is reasonable. This is what Mark Morgan's saying. This is what any country would do. You, If you're a true asylum seeker, the first safe country you get to, you should say, hey, can I have asylum here? You know, you're not allowed to be choosy in this process. 
It's not, you know, oh, well, I hear that Sweden has better dental benefits, so so ship me off to Sweden from Guatemala. That's not how this is supposed to go. Play uh, 14. This is basic international law, is that if you're, if you're fleeing a country and you're seeking asylum, the standard is you seek asylum in the first country you come to. That just makes sense. Yeah, because otherwise what you have is what we're seeing. People that are passing through countries on the way to the country they really want to get to as a means of skipping the line and beating the immigration system. It's not, folks, it's, that, that is not how this is supposed to go. That is not the way this, this was set up to play out. And I, I think we're all starting to finally catch on here. I think people are starting to understand what is really at work here, which is the Democrats pushing an open borders agenda that's meant to destroy the Republican Party and throw us much more quickly into a far-left de- Democratic Socialist administration that it, it has a free hand to do whatever it wants for as long as it wants. We, uh, you know, one of my concerns for America right now, and I don't want to sound like a broken record on this, but we, we've gotten so used to things in the last couple of years feeling like they're moving the right direction, things are pretty good. Nothing lasts forever, folks. And, you know, we, we've got to at least keep things in this country on, on a, certain, a certain playing field. You know, we've got to keep things within certain boundaries or else the next correction, the next downturn for this country could really put it on a, on a different trajectory over the long term. I mean, this, this, essentially, this place will never be the same. You know, the next time that things get bad for a while, because they will, might be the last time that we think of America as a place of real individual liberty and freedom and optimism, where it's not just another sclerotic bureaucracy foisted atop people, you know, with, with you know, a lot of people in history. And we think, oh, it's all of all of humanity is heading toward, you know, brighter days and better. A lot of people have lived in countries. In fact, the the rule, not the exception, has been people living in countries where the government didn't give a didn't give a crap what they think. And where you're born is where you end up. There's no real upward mobility. You know, things aren't going to get better. And you just kind of learn to lower your expectations about everything and just be happy if there's food and a roof over your head most of the time. That's that's most of of human history Uh, in in nation states. That's that's been the way it is, more or less. Uh, You know, America doesn't doesn't necessarily stay as America forever. I think that we all need to recognize that Uh, you you look at a country, you look at some of the countries that had their descent into into fascism, into totalitarianism. They were relatively, by their standards of their time, relatively well-off and cultured. And things can turn fast, my friend, so we got to keep an eye on all this. I'm not saying it's going to get terrible right away, but there is a real lawlessness going on here. We've been removing MS-13 by the thousands during my administration. And I tell my people, much easier to go the other route, but I say focus on the criminals, focus on the people that are killing people, that are causing crime, focus on them. Much easier just to go to general population. That's easy. But I don't do it the easy way. We're getting tremendous numbers of criminals. And yesterday, it was just reported to me before I walked, because I said, how did that go yesterday? It didn't have to start yesterday. The truth is, it started a number of days before yesterday, but yesterday was very successful. People come into our country illegally and they go out legally. Every person taken out had papers, and we had court orders. What's wrong with that? If, if that's not what should happen, shouldn't the Democrats 
shouldn't the Democrats advocate that we change the laws? Why? Why should the laws stay as they are if the laws themselves are unjust? He's talking about MS-13 getting deported out of the country. Does anyone really disapprove of that? And isn't this also a problem of having uh, either too much immigration without enough assimilation or having open or near open borders? This just I saw this story today about 22 Los Angeles based MS-13 gang members. This is uh, on the site breaking nine one breaking nine one one. Los Angeles based gang members charged in a series of grisly murders including several slayings in which victims were hacked to death with with machetes in the Angeles National Forest, and their hearts were cut out of their bodies. As Trump has said, you know, bad hombres. There are are definite downsides to our very lax, lackadaisical, oh, whatever, it's all fine immigration attitude. There's no question about that. And I just want to know, are are all these other countries, Canada, Australia, basically all of Europe, you know, I mean, if I was offered citizenship in Monaco where I have to pay no taxes, would I really consider it? Probably. I think you have to have like a million, a million liquid. So no, no luck for me. But, uh, you know, this is ridiculous. All these other countries have immigration systems that try to privilege the best possible people for that country getting into the country. This is skills or merit based immigration systems that that's the norm in the rest of the developed world. Yeah. Try to become a Japanese citizen. See how that goes for you. Sh- show up in Japan and say, hey, no, I-, I have a right to be here, you know, because of World War Two and what you guys did. And they come up with some excuse. The Japanese will be very polite, very orderly, and they will show you to the next flight to wherever you came from. It's not going to happen. But we aren't allowed to decide who comes here and who doesn't. We're, we're not allowed to do that. And we're also apparently not allowed to say that there's any any downside to a situation where people are just pouring into the country. We have no idea who they are. We have no idea what they're going to do. And, you know, I mean, MS-13 is a transnational gang that relies on recruiting from and uh, and exploiting, particularly El Salvadoran and Honduran illegal immigrant uh, populations in the United States for horrible stuff like what we saw here. You know, here, I mean, this is my, you know, we're, we're never allowed to talk about this, but, you, you know, you look at the Los Angeles County most wanted list. Just 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 do that as a as a as an experiment and then look and, and, and see how many of them are illegals. Turns out there's a whole bunch of them whole and look at the list right now. There's a whole bunch that either are illegal or come from communities where there are certainly a lot of illegality and you have to look at their specific status to see if the individual is in fact illegal but i'd be willing to guess a bunch of them are i'm looking at some here that uh very likely folks we'll be right back you are now entering the freedom hunt tactical operations center all sensitive programs must be kept strictly need to know clear. team buck is cleared roger that and ready for the buck brief Turkey has been drifting out of NATO and and the U.S. and the West's orbit for quite some time. There's been a long list of uh, Turkish policy decisions that were certainly not uh, not in line with our interests, uh, certainly a, a slap in the face to the United States and stretching all the way back to their unwillingness to let us 
open a northern front in the Iraq war and the second Iraq war, which could have changed the outcome of the war. I mean, it could have made things go much more quickly. And, you know, who knows? We'll, we'll never be able to prove that one way or the other, but they would not let us. And uh, the Turks are far too friendly with with Hamas. I think the Turkish turning a blind eye to what was going on in, in Syria for a while, especially at their border, was very helpful to the I know it was very helpful to the tens of thousands of recruits who flocked to the Islamic State. They're just flying to Turkey and driving down and just, you know, showing up in Syria. So the, the, the Turks have been a very uh, fair weather friend for a while now. And I, I do think that there is some sense of a global political correctness that we're not as we're not as strict with Turkey as we would be with another NATO ally on these things where we don't hold them to the same standard because Turkey's the only, I guess, other than Albania's Muslim majority, right? But Turkey's thought of as the, as the major Muslim country in NATO. And it makes it seem that it's not, that NATO is not just some Western, at least nominally Christian Western alliance that there's, we have, you know, the Turks involved as well, which for any Mideast peacekeeping and stability operations, we could say, well, look, we've got a, you know, we've got a Muslim NATO state, but really, Turkey shouldn't be in NATO. And this is going to cause some big problems. The latest addition to the Turkey shouldn't be in NATO chorus comes courtesy of their decision to buy a very sophisticated Russian surface to uh, surface to air missile system called the S-400. Now, some of you may be familiar with the S-300, which had been a missile system that that we'd been worried about for some time, getting into the hands of different Mideast regimes, including the Iranians and and this just makes it harder for airstrikes, right? This this is a, a serious challenge to Western aerial systems. Um, so that's something that, you know, you, you always have to remember is that the, the Russians will sometimes sell these systems. Um, the S-400 is the updated version of the S-300. And it's, as, as I said, an anti-aircraft system. It is a self-propelled, I mean, it looks like a... Uh, almost like a big tractor with a bunch of huge tubes on the back of it. And it has, who knows what the real specs are for this. I mean, there's gonna there's what they say. The operational range is about 400 kilometers, they say, but it could be more, it could be less. I'm sure that the Russians have classified this. The NATO name for this is the SA-21 Growler. So we've been telling the Turks, look, don't buy the SA-21 Growler, the S-400, better known as that, because it's not going to be compatible with any NATO technology. So you're going outside of NATO systems here for a very important, very expensive uh, surface-to-air missile system. There are concerns that Russians who may be involved, remember the missile system will also have to have maintenance and training, and that means Russians on the ground in Turkey. There are concerns that the Russians may use then any involvement in the S-400 system as a means of acquiring sensitive information about about um, our aircraft flying out of Injerlik Air Base. Remember, we have a big air base in Turkey, Injerlik. And so there are there are concerns over that. And then there's also. The what does this mean going forward? And Trump has said that we're probably not going to sell them the F-35 plane system, which I believe is the uh, most expensive single 
weapon system in the history of the world, right? The F-35, the development of it. And there are some there have been problems with the F-35 system There have been reported on recently. Uh, but this is Turkey moving away the, the, what people see here. And this is a big decision. I mean, this is going to this is a multi-billion dollar shift away from weapon system that is U.S. and NATO backed to one that is Russia backed. Uh, this is a move. It's, it's going to create a lot of bad feeling inside the different capitals of, of European countries that are in NATO for sure. Turkey is, and the reason it has been an important country for a long time, is its strategic location. It is, it is a very important location for a whole bunch of reasons. Um, NATO already has the American-made Patriot system, right? You remember the Patriot missiles? We all came to know about them during the first Persian Gulf War. Um, and they've been there since the Civil War in Syria really heated up. But Erdogan is saying that they need their own long-range missile system. Um, Turkey has tried to buy its own Patriot system, but we wouldn't sell that to them. Uh, and Trump's, or at least they never got a deal, and Trump said, Trump has blamed the Obama administration for that. Um, but there, Turkey's basically saying, this is what we need for our own defense. Sorry, we're going to do this. And now this might mean that we don't we don't sell them the F-35, which means that are they really going to be a... NATO country indefinitely. I, I think people have to look at this. I mean, a NATO spokesman just said, we are concerned about the potential consequences to uh, of Turkey's decision, in part because it is considered technologically incompatible with the weapon system used by NATO, NATO countries. Interoperability of our armed forces is fundamental to NATO for keeping uh, our con- conduct of our operations and missions. Uh, we welcome that Turkey's working with several allies and development, blah, blah. Okay. Well, yeah, that's what that sounds like a NATO spokesperson saying this. Look, the problem here, folks, is if we start to have a, a shift in Turkey away from the West toward the East, toward more authoritarian regimes, toward Russia, then Turkey can become a kind of forward operating base, a, a beachhead for the Eastern authoritarian regimes right on the doorstep of Europe. And this starts to bring up, for those that know their history, a lot of, you know, uh, this, this feels very cyclical, right? That Turkey has been more authoritarian recently under the Erdogan regime, cracking down on journalists. And Turkey is one of the worst places in the world. I think it may even be the worst in the world for imprisoning uh, journalists that had previously been free, right? I mean, North Korea doesn't allow any journalism, but I think Turkey has switched over and is now really bad for press freedom. Uh, certainly the worst for press freedom of any country that we have any expectations of press freedom in. And they've they, they have a, an increasingly Islamist uh, Islamist government. There was that coup attempt, which they then blamed on Gulenists, this guy Gulen uh, or Ghoul rather, who was in was he in Pennsylvania, I think there was that very it, the whole thing seemed kind of bizarre. There was that coup attempt. Uh, but if Turkey doesn't go in our direction, that has implications for shipping you know, into the Black Sea, and and it could affect the ability of our ships to have free transit through the 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 Straits. I was going to say Straits of Hormuz. That's obviously the Persian Gulf, the Dardanelles. Um, that's what we're you know this and this takes us all the way back to well, different periods in history where this has been a among the most important choke points of any 
uh, of any waterway in the world, right? I mean, you you look at the the Bosphorus and and the choke point that is created between the Mediterranean and the Black Sea, and understand that that will matter going forward. This is going to matter for for shipping. It's going to matter for um, pipelines and access to natural gas in particular from the east. There, there's a lot that rides on this. And Turkey keeps trending in the wrong direction. And I really do think that part of this is that the Turks get away with stuff because we kind of need to have a Muslim, a large Muslim majority NATO country to put a non-Western European American uh, component in play. You know, right now, a lot of people looking at Turkey and saying, what is this country really doing? What's the long term? You know, I've always felt like the Turks have as a as a country there's a a little bit more there's a grandiosity about their sense of what the the country is capable of i mean talking about the turkish leadership now they think that turkey is a more important player than it is and they haven't yet gotten the memo that historically turkey was a huge power but it is not anymore Uh, we're gonna have to find a way to slap them down a little bit here i mean the f-35 system not getting sold to turkey that's certainly one way of uh, one way for us to show our displeasure um and then we'll have to see beyond that if there's any further diplomatic rifts here but russia getting a real foothold in the turkish in the turkish military industrial complex this this is not something that we should ignore this is something that's going to going to matter more going forward and even though putin has a very geopolitically a weak hand especially because of the depressed oil prices he has been doing things in the interests of of his country that it looks like he's outplaying our diplomats a lot of the time i gotta be honest with you that's and that's without talking about all that russia collusion nonsense this is the real russia stuff we got to worry about five years ago my son said i can't breathe 11 times and today we can't breathe because they have let us down so this is from the case you may remember of Eric Garner, who was a, a an African-American man who was selling loose cigarettes on the street, and a New York City police officer, Daniel Pantaleo, who was with the NYPD, where I formerly worked as a civilian intelligence analyst, um, but he placed Garner in a chokehold, and Garner was saying that he, he could not breathe, and uh, look, this this was a very at the time a very contentious situation. It led to a lot of protests. Uh, it was one of the cases that um, it was one of the cases that was part of the uh, Black Lives Matter movement that would always be highlighted in as part of that movement. And I would I would say this about it: I'm I'm sympathetic because first of all no one should no one should lose their their kid who doesn't pose a their child in this case the guy was you know a grown adult but that was his mother speaking uh no no one should lose a loved one because they're selling loose cigarettes um but this is a complicated situation because i there's video of this and in the video when you watch it eric garner does uh does not um comply and, and you're not you're not allowed to do that you're, you're not allowed to tell a police officer who is who is arresting you uh that you just don't want it, you don't you're not going to jail today which is what he 
I think he might have even said that, but that that was the more or less the uh, response that he gave this officer, which is sorry, I'm just I'm just not going to jail today. Well, well, where does that stop and start? The process is that officers are empowered by the state, or in this case, the city, but the city as a subsidiary subsidiary of the state to arrest you uh, if they have if there's a, a probable cause for that arrest. Right. So. And whether you think that it should be illegal or not to sell untaxed cigarettes on the street, it is illegal. And when they went up to this guy, which I, you know, you can argue about that. They went up to this guy and they said, look, you're you know, you got to come with us. And then he uh, said, I'm not going. And sure enough, he is a very large guy. He's a he's a guy who was already having you know heart problems. He had a heart condition. And when they when the officer wrestled him to the ground, he, he went into a respiratory failure and he died. The officer did not choke him to death. So when people talk about a chokehold, I mean, that would a chokehold that leads to, de- to death would, would be a function of asphyxiation. That's not what happened here. Uh, what happened is that the the uh, chokehold that he used, uh, which I know some people say it's not even really technically a chokehold, but. You know, the way that they brought this guy down uh, caused a, a an escalation in his heart rate. And then he went into respiratory failure. So, look, it, it's a sad situation. I mean, the guy the guy didn't deserve to die. The question at all. But the question is, did the officer arresting him? Act with malice and with with und, with undue force under this under these circumstances. And this uh, now that by the way, they're blaming this on Attorney General Barr, which that's that's to be expected, I suppose, and anything to tie this to the, the Trump administration. The quote here is that DOJ officials did not feel convinced there was evidence to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the officer acted willfully. It's hard to thoughtfully apply specific techniques during physical confrontations with resisting parties, the officials said. The most challenging part of the case, according to officials, was proving Pantaleo's state of mind when he put his arm around Garner's neck and restricted his airflow. So he wasn't trying to kill him. He was trying to subdue him is, is essentially the, uh, the the upshot of this or the, that's that's the bottom line here. So, you know, look, it, it's a tough one, folks. I mean, I, I feel I feel badly. Um, I feel badly for the family of this individual. Um, but let's keep in mind here. I, th- I think that they uh, I think that there'll be a, if there isn't already. Uh, there will be a massive lawsuit and knowing the way that de Blasio. Oh, sorry. There already was the city of New York settled with Garner's estate for five point nine million dollars in 2015. Um, you know, this is this became a, a big cause, though. You had LeBron James wearing I can't breathe T-shirts, people saying, you know, I can't breathe. You know, th- this became a much bigger issue than, for example, a case that I wrote about for the Hill where an individual was, I think, maliciously uh, murdered by a police officer, honestly. Uh, But he was a young white male, so it didn't get put into the category of Black Lives Matter. But this is where he was told to cross his legs and uncross his legs and crawl, but don't, you know, show me your hands, but crawl, but uncross your legs in a hallway. And the guy was whimpering and crying, and an officer with with an AR, there were two officers in the hallway with an AR, just, just, just wasted this young guy. I mean, you know, because he tried to pull his uh, his shorts up. And if you watch the video, I wrote about it on the Hill. If you watch the video, I mean, it was essentially an execution by a cop that had had scratched your your F word did 
on his rifle. Okay, is a guy. A guy's got problems. Um, clearly, and I think he got. I think he got away with with you know uh, with homicide. Honestly, uh, but that did not get turned into a big case. This got turned into a big case, and I think that this was an. I think that this was a really unfortunate situation, which is going to happen. And you know, ultimately, you know, do I think the officer should have like let him go sooner around the neck? Yeah, but you know, he wasn't trying to kill him, and you have to take that into account when you're looking at officer. There was no intent to to murder or do or may, uh, have undue harm to this individual. It's hard, folks. We ask a lot for of law enforcement, and this stuff is all very politicized these days. And, you know, this officer's life is never the same. And the people that say things like, oh, officers go out looking for this, they don't know what they're talking about. The worst day of a police officer's life is a, is a lethal force incident. Um, and, and anybody who's ever served, and I, I know people in the NYPD who have been involved in that, and they say that it's, it's life-changing and not in, a, not, in a, not in a good way. So, anyway, that's, that's the upshot of this. You may see more talk of it because of the bar, Attorney General Barr tie-in, but they did not put up, uh, put federal charges against bring federal charges against officer uh, Pantaleo for Eric Garner's death. And the left is outraged about it. I think it's the right. I think it's the right call by DOJ. I do. I don't know how many of you ever watched the, the BBC. I do know some Americans who think that uh, the BBC, because, because everyone has a very proper accent that what they say must be so much more important and believable. Um, Turns out that's not really the case. You can have a you can have a fancy British accent and be a total moron, as we have learned many, many, many times, particularly in the media world. Uh, but the BBC, for some, is considered an international gold standard of journalistic credibility. Everyone who goes on there is just so so proper, so credible. Oh yes, we're just going to report on whatever we see as journalists, and we don't have any political opinions whatsoever. Uh, turns out they do have political opinions, and in fact, uh, they tend to be overwhelmingly leftists and anti-Israeli. Uh, there's that, and a few other issues where you see the BBC uh, showing what it really is. But this story, and this is uh, by Yasher Ali, uh, it was it's a HuffPost story, but don't let that stop you from paying attention to it for a second here. BBC accepts Iran's demand of blackout on its Persian sites amid regime's attacks on the press. Here's the story. The BBC has agreed to conditions. So this is the British Broadcasting Corporation. Agreed to conditions set by the Islamic Republic of Iran to not share reporting materials it gathers in Iran with its B, with its Persian language channel, BBC Persian, including to an, uh, according to an internal email obtained by HuffPost. The agreement represents a capitulation to a government that has been hostile to press freedom. The Iranian government routinely shuts down media organizations critical of the regime and imprisons, tortures, and executes journalists. Um, The agreement was made with the Iranian government in exchange for Iran allowing a BBC correspondent into the country. It's not the first time that the BBC has agreed to such terms. Uh, Look, journalists all the time are making decisions about who they will, you know, what they will report on, who they will report on, and, you know, how they will, uh, you know, how they'll approach any given subject. And there's a lot, there's a lot that journalists do that is very obviously partisan, if you're going to just look at it for what it is. 
And they also make concessions. They make concessions for access. They do it with different administrations. They do it with how they will tell somebody what's on the record versus off the record and whether they'll give anonymity to sources. There's a lot of games that can be played. It's all it's all just storytelling. It's the it's the presentation of facts in story format. But I'm I'm still very steamed about when I was in Beijing a couple months back, a few months ago now, and I saw CNN International, and there's just no sense of patriotism whatsoever from CNN. That it, that the image that it projects of America to the rest of the world plays to the prejudices of a global audience against America, and I think that's shameful. And the BBC here, which holds itself up as a as an international gold standard in reporting, is willing to take the uh, the deal offered by the Iranian regime, which imprisons, tortures, murders journalists in order to continue to have access for its journalists. Now, if you were going to be a real First Amendment, well, they don't have the First Amendment there, but if you were going to be a real free press advocate, uh, wouldn't you tell the world about what Iran blackmails you into doing or tries to blackmail you into doing as a news organization instead of just going along to get along? I'm sorry, but there's just so much dishonesty in the journalism profession now, and that's why it's breaking down. That's why journalism as a as a career category, I'm not sure it really exists anymore or it's it's ceasing to exist the way that it used to. Twenty five percent reduction in newsroom employment over the last 20 years, I believe, is the, uh, is the statistic that I saw. And I don't I don't find that the least bit surprising. In fact, I think if you look at journalism overall, uh, because of the breakdown in the barriers, because People now can become journalists and amass very large followings without any institutional backing. Uh, there's there's just a lot of downward pressure on these organizations. And so they cave and BBC caves here because they want access to Iran. But I also think that, you know, they would never they would never accept from Israel this kind of a deal, but they'll accept it from Iran. I think there's more behind this. But just remember Journalists like to pat themselves in the back for being brave, and most are most are really craven and pretty cowardly. The show ain't over yet, folks. Keeping it real. It's time for roll call. Roll call time. Yes, indeed. How doeth we do the roll call that we do? How do the voodoo that you do so well? It is a spell you make me want to shoot. Marcella. Hello, Buck. I have followed your journey in wanting a dog from the beginning. Like you, I'm a dog nut and have been since early childhood. My favorite childhood book was the official AKC book of dog breeds, which I studied obsessively. Yesterday, I heard you say that when the time comes after marriage and kids, LOL, you will get an English bulldog. I know you're a, fran, a fan of Frenchies. Hi, Lula. And now I'm wondering specifically what made you decide on an English bulldog versus a Frenchie. Shields high, Marcella. Well, Marcella, I'd be very happy with a French bulldog, too. And they're very popular now in cities because they're just really like a smaller version of an English bulldog. Um, I just, I don't know. There's something about an English bully that I just, I think they're the cutest. I don't have a better answer than that. I just think they're the cutest. 
and they're a little bigger, a little a little heavier, uh, maybe a little more rough and tumble. Although Frenchie's got a lot of personality for a small dog. I I never understand people who are only like big dogs. Why do you only like big dogs? I know there are some dogs that look like they just crawled out of a sewer drain somewhere, and and that's not good. But I mean, a thirty or forty pound dog, which is what we're talking about with say a, a bulldogs, English bulldogs are easily 30 40 sometimes more like 50 pounds uh to me that's a, that's a that's a pretty big animal that's not a small you know frenchies my mom is gonna yell at me for saying this frenchies can get upwards of 30 pounds if you feed them a lot uh a little too much lula's lula's nesting she's in a nesting phase of her life uh I'm trying to think what are the other my you know my older brother has a pomeranian and pomeranians are they're little dogs and they look frou-frou-y, but they've got a they got great personalities and they're they're really sweet and kind of feisty and they can be very they can be very chill when you want them to be, but also they'll run around and they'll hop up and down and they can be fun. So I, I've become a, and of course now for those of you who are saying book, what about obviously I love labs and golden retrievers and I I am even somebody I like Rottweilers and Mastiffs and I've now I'm going to get into trouble because I'm going to tell you the dogs that. I'm just not a poodle person, you know. I, st- I that doesn't mean I don't I dislike poodles. They're just very low on my list, along with Borzois and you get some of these big weird dogs. I don't really understand, you know, Airedale terriers. I you know I don't know some p- different strokes for different. Like who goes to the who goes to a breeder is like I only want an Airedale terrier, you know those big dogs with the kind of funky looking face. I don't know who does that. See, this is what happens. You get me talking about dogs, and I end up ranting about it. James writes, this is what AOC and the others are, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Well, let's be fair, horsewomen of the apocalypse, sir. Uh, Here we go. Uh Uh-oh, I always like this one. Chris, Buck, love the show. You are wrong about Trump and the squad issue. While they might be U.S. citizens, the point is their families uh, fled from the holes they came from. They sure did a bang-up job inculcating love for the country that harbored them. While, of course, they have First Amendment rights, just goes to show that so many immigrants do not love this country and don't seem to do a great job passing on appreciation. Just the fact that so many bring their grievances against America with them and pass it from generation to generation proves the point. There is no pushback from the generation that brought them here. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Uh, well, I mean, Chris, if we're if we're looking at the facts of what what the Trump tweet that caused all this, the facts of it are. Uh, I, I don't believe I, I mean, Ayanna Presley, her I think her parents were born in the U.S. and uh, her parents parents were born in the U.S. Uh, AOC's parents were born in Puerto Rico, which is technically the United States. They're U.S. citizens. Um, who else was on that list? Omar is the only one who really is the uh, who was originally a foreigner who became a U.S. citizen. And then you have Talib, who I'm guessing her parents are immigrants, but I'd have to check and see. They could have been born in this country, too. I'm, I'm assuming they are that she's first generation, but I don't know that. So I need to look into that. Um, so, I mean, you're, you're, Chris, you're entitled to think that Trump's tweet was was just fine and spot on. I, I thought it was an unforced, unforced error because these four uh, have been saying so much stupid and terrible stuff that why why bail them out by making the focus something else? And it's not good to put yourself in a position where, as the president of the United States, you're saying something that people are going to look that they call Trump racist no matter what. Right. That's not new. But you don't want to say go back to where you came from when you're talking to uh, four minority women, three of whom were, were are, are from here. 
that's that's going to be a tough one, a tough one to defend. Now, Trump isn't apologizing. He's he is on defense, but he's not apologizing for it. And that's his that's his choice. Um, TJ Buck, for what it's worth and producer Mark, I listen to your podcast via Stitcher and it sounds just fine. The sound quality must be because of the specific app they are listening through. Well, producer Mark, TJ saying that you know what's up and uh, people need to check themselves before they wreck themselves. TJ is my new favorite listener. There we go. Yeah, TJ's, TJ's making the magic happen. Uh, hopefully everyone will figure this out. Um, here we go. We have Angela writes... Um, Happy Monday. Uh, I was able to get through your Instagram this weekend. I love all the doggy pictures. I have a nine-year-old American Eskimo who's completely blind. I love her to death. Can't wait to listen to your show. Well, Angela, thank you for sending in a photo of the Eskimo. Uh, Eskimos are, are cool cool dogs. Cool dogs. Andrew, I'd say was sat, but I listened to the podcast the next morning, so was I don't know what that means. Let me suggest the sound level... Uh, complainers that they update their iHeart apps. I know what they're talking about. Happened to me once, just once. The latest iHeart app update is from July 1st of 2019. Hey, maybe that's the fix, guys. Make sure your iHeart app is updated, okay? And then tell me if that if that handles the problem. Uh, Tom writes, Buck, I gotta call, oh my gosh, more of this. I gotta call a code red on producer Mike. It's actually producer Mark. I wasn't going to write in about the audio levels, but the guy that Tim wrote in is right. I listen to your I, yeah, I heart and your voice is very low. Uh, show is still awesome. Keep up the fight. Well, guys, make sure your iHeart app is up, up to speed, up to date. Uh, we, okay, we got another. Sheldon is saying that it's fine. Thank you, Sheldon, for writing in. Man, people really have, have they, got, they got all the feelings about the, the podcast volume. This is a real thing. Uh, we got another one of those. We got Joshua writing in another one of the pod. Wow, you guys, you're all debating each other on the podcast. Half of you say it's fine, half of you say it's not. There must be something specific to the app you're. So please try to uh, try to update your iHeart app and see if that fixes it. Um, John Kasich is not governor of Ohio. Mike Dewin is. Oh, Kasich isn't. Oh, gosh, my bad. I thought I thought uh, what, what Kasich didn't run again. Uh, good, served as the 69th governor to 2019. Okay, yep. I stand. Sorry, I stand corrected. Kasich is no longer governor. There we go. All right, oh, all right, Ohio. Hopefully, this new guy, Mike De- Dewine, or is it Dewine? I guess it's Dewine. Hopefully, he's a bit better. Um, but we'll see. All right, guys, do me a favor. Unless you have something new on the podcast audio volume, please don't. No more. I, I'm reading through my entire inbox as podcast vo- volume tirades. Uh, I get it. We'll try to fix it. If the iHeart app fixes it for you, let me know that. Otherwise, we'll we'll look into this. Robert, hey, Buck, I get that Trump may have misspoke regarding the squad and that three of the four are actually Americans because they're born here. Maybe he was suggesting that they shouldn't be Americans only because they were born here. This is what you get when you have unassimilated parents. Rashida Tlaib is the poster child for the argument against birthright citizenship. Um, well, Robert, you know, there, there are interesting questions about assimilation that I think we're going to have to address in the, in the years ahead, especially as you have a, an American left, I mean, the Democratic Party, 
that really doesn't view itself as um, it, it doesn't view assimilation as adherence for those who are new arrivals to any culture or way of doing things that already exists here. Uh, in fact, we're increasingly telling or the left is increasingly telling immigrants, hey, you can do whatever you want. The way you do things or the way you approach things is fine. No need to be more like America. You can just bring your own version of America here with you, which is not that's not the way it used to be. I, I think that there's there's a real pressure here on our assimilation situation. But there we go. Sandy writes, yes, do not let the media get away with their propaganda. Sandy, not on my watch. There'll be none of that. Phil writes, Buck Kasich is no longer governor of Ohio. That was uh, good citizens of that state elected Mike DeWine last November. Phil, indeed, my bad. Sorry about that. Sometimes Buck messes up, and he messed up on that one. So, yes, everybody, for the record, Kasich is not the governor of Ohio. Phil, wait, was it Phil DeWine? I don't know. Some guy named DeWine is the governor of Ohio. Uh, hmm. Uh, Mike. Right. Uh, President Trump is a genius. Now Pelosi's going to have to defend the squad. He's destroying the Democratic Party with all their help. Uh, well, OK. I mean, I, I think Trump has been under some pressure this week. We will have to we'll have to see. Um, all right. Wow. There's even more even more on the podcast volume. M- Mark, can we, we, we I guess we're going to have to do an experiment where we download the different versions of the podcast and listen ourselves and see. What do you think? I think that's a good idea. Yeah, I think we should. So I'll find all the different ways, everyone. This is what I'm going to do. Good news is I don't have a life. So I'm going to uh, figure this out, uh, and we'll download all the things. Cole writes, hey, Buck, just saw you on Fox. I like the beard. I listen to you always and had in mind a bushy beard. Wish I could grow that, but I have too much Irish in me. Well, thanks, Cole. Now it's kind of a trimmed down, just scruff situation. I had a bushy beard for like a month, and then people said that I was was starting to look a little too Bin Laden-y. So I got rid of it, and uh, now it's just down to the scruff. But some of the, the male audience does not like when I discuss my facial hair situation, so I'm just going to skip past that one. Team, that's going to be it for uh, the rest of, well, this show. But tomorrow there will be a new show, which is exciting. I will talk to you then. Shields high.